Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. A new film is out that is based on a true story about a season in the life of the late Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I had a chance to chat with the widow of the late television legend, Joanne Rogers, offering insight into aspects of his life and his faith. Then you'll meet medical doctor Sandra Dalton-Smith, who sat down with me at the 2019 Christian Product Expo International in Tennessee. She combines the spiritual with elements of the medical to highlight the importance of rest and how our bodies and our souls need it. Also from CPE International, she is known as the Prayer Lady and has been involved in a number of prayer initiatives. Elaine Helms has a heart to see churches develop prayer ministries and underscores the importance of God's people praying together. Then, also from CPE, you'll hear from Tina Yeager, who provides encouragement for believers as they engage in spiritual battle and seek to keep their minds focused on the Lord and His Word. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from Keisha Russell of First Liberty, who shares a timetable regarding the attempt to force the charity Little Sisters of the Poor to comply with a government mandate to provide contraception, as well as drugs that could cause an abortion in their health care plans. Believe it or not, there are still cases in court about this government mandate. Finally, Michael Heiser of the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry, formerly a Faith Life Corporation, plays off the popularity of a Netflix series describing how the Bible can be described as supernatural storytelling. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. In advance of the release of the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Joanne Rogers, the widow of the late Fred Rogers, or Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, discussed various aspects of his life, including his faith. From that conversation, this is Joanne Rogers. I thought that the movie did a great job of showing who Fred was in this in this movie. Uh, not so much who he was with children, but uh, but also with adults. I think this uh, this movie is uh, is aimed for the adult who may have watched Mr. Rogers as a child. I think this this movie did a good a good job of showing who Fred was and 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 just the the patience of him as well. Um, well, I know some... what, what part did you like of of the movie? Well, there was something I wanted to bring out. There are so many wonderful parts of the film, and I think it did show the relational nature. Of course, people think of Mr. Rogers as really a larger-than-life character, but as is portrayed in the film, he was someone who was extremely relational, and he seemed to be someone that that would ask questions and would empathize with other people, especially this reporter who is one of the other central characters in the film. So that that's certainly a gift, and I'm sure that's something that you observe quite often up close. Well, Fred Fred got Fred got a reputation among journalists of maybe one would say, "Oh, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to interview Mister Rogers," and they would say, "Oh, well, he'll end up end up interviewing you." <laughs> yes. And so, um, but he was interested in that person who was asking him questions, uh, and he wanted to know them better. And I think that that's why, you know, they at one point in in the movie, this 
this journalist says, "Hey, I'm you know I'm I'm the one who's doing the interviewing here, sort of you know in other words." And um, <laughs> but uh, yes, he he did he did love love to know people and. Mm. Uh, I, and I, I think the, the movie shows shows that it's it's a it's a movie for the person who was a fan of his maybe as a child and who's now grown up. Uh, it's Fred's neighborhood of make believe for adults, mm. <laughs> perhaps. Well- well, and something, if people are familiar just a bit with Fred Rogers' biography, they know that he was a, a man of faith. That's something that's actually portrayed in the film. And I want you to comment something, in fact, that your character in the film said to the reporter who is portrayed in the movie, that Fred Rogers was someone whose life was based on Scripture, and he actually was a man of prayer, praying for people individually. And without giving too much away, that's actually something that is shown in the film so comment on what you yes. see as the spiritual side of mr rogers well fred had a a, a legal pad a long legal pad uh that were usually just filled with names uh, names that he didn't want to forget uh to include in his prayers in the morning he usually got up around five fifteen, and uh, and he uh i i he he would go for his prayers first. I think his prayers and his uh, his private uh, little service that he had in his own room, and um, he did he 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 prayed for everybody uh, and and probably for, for a lot of other things as well. I know he um, it. I think I I, I think we we must remember that. The program itself was his ministry. Um, he was ordained to do this, do exactly what he did. Uh, he was ordained as an evangelist in the Presbyterian Church to continue his work with uh, children and families. What would you think that Fred would want people to take from this film? That you are special, as just as you are. You're unique, and there's nobody like you in this world. Joanne Rogers here on The Intersection. The movie's website is abeautifulday.movie. Resources for groups, including churches, can be found at resources.abeautifulday.movie. Next up on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, medical doctor Sandra Dalton-Smith visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, to discuss various components of rest, including the spiritual, as she outlines in the book, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. From that conversation, this is Sandra Dalton-Smith. Oftentimes, people, the reason they come to to my practice is something to do with, I'm tired all the time. That's the number one thing I hear. I'm tired all the time. And don't tell me I need more sleep because I'm sleeping, but I'm still tired. So automatically they think it's their thyroid or their adrenal glands or something worse going on. And we do all the tests. The tests come back perfectly normal, which then makes people very upset because they want a right. diagnosis. They, they want a they want a, <laughs> you to write a prescription. <laughs> they want a quick fix to really a problem that's going to require them to slow down. Mm. 
That's good stuff. We'll talk about that more. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio, the Christian Product Expo in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Well, let's, let's talk about this expectation of a quick fix. As you talk about people that come into your medical practice and they want you to, you know, as I said, write a prescription. They mm-hmm. want you to tell them this is what's wrong. Well, and let me just kind of take a little bit of a detour. How often do you, you know, being a a physician, get involved in actually telling people, well, you need to slow down, you need to rest? That's where I started writing, because so often there's a pressure from a physician standpoint to crank out the patients, to keep them moving. You have so many people scheduled for a day, and the amount of counseling and teaching and education really that's needed to be effective doesn't fit into our normal practice, because it takes more than a 10-minute, you know, listen to your heart, listen to your lungs, out the door with a prescription to really be able to educate people. So I had to change my practice. So over the course of the 20 years, I went from scheduling people every 15 minutes to sometimes it's 20 to 25 minutes. I really had to make a decision about what type of physician I wanted to be. Mm. Did I want to be one that was just giving prescriptions for things that I knew needed something more? Or did I really want to change people's lives? And that's where the writing came from because some people... They don't really want to have a long counseling session or anything like that. They want the quick fix. And so you have to be able to give them some extra resources to help them be able to see that this isn't something I can give you a pill for. This is a lifestyle change that needs to be made. Well, a pill is not a remedy (laughs) in in some cases, I would say. Mm -hmm. And people come in expecting a pill that can make them feel better, maybe (laughs) an energy jolt or something that they can can take that will just, you know, all of a sudden improve their lives. I call it the, the lifeline B12 shot. Everybody <laughs> wants a B12 shot That's for right. everything. Give me that <laughs> jolt there. But what you're actually saying is this is going to take some work. Yeah, it's going to take it's going to take trust in God yeah. because for so many of us we we don't rest because we feel like if we keep moving things will keep progressing and that we have some control over the process. And so that's a big part of it. That's a, that's part of the reason that the entire faith concept oftentimes comes into my medical practice because people have to understand you're really not in control. You have to get mm. to a place of trust. Well, and let's talk about trusting God, the biblical, the spiritual element of what we're talking about today. What have you found to be effective as far as really applying God's truth into a situation to enable a person, a believer in Christ, to really experience, well, as the Bible refers to, the the rest that God has in store for us? Yes, that's Really, I take them all the way back to Genesis. I take a look at where really the whole concept of rest was first introduced. It was introduced on day seven. Well, on day six, humankind was created. And so on, and animals were created first, then humans were created, then we went into a day of rest. And then we don't actually see work being discussed until after that day of rest. And when I saw that, it was like reading Genesis for the first time, because I'd always thought that rest was what man did after they worked like I had to work to earn my rest but really the biblical example that we are shown is that man was created on the next day God rested well while God was resting what was man doing because there's no mention of work till chapter two after the day of rest 
So my mindset shifted when I saw that rest wasn't what I did after I earned it. Rest was the position I was to begin my work from, resting and trusting him prior to stepping into any work that he has for me to do. Sandra Dalton-Smith here on The Intersection. You can find her at sandradaltonsmith.com. More now from CPE International in Tennessee. The founder and director of Church Prayer Ministries, Elaine Helms, discussed her involvement in prayer ministry and her desire to see churches develop prayer ministries. She's the author of the book, Prayer 101, What Every Intercessor Needs to Know. From that conversation, this is Elaine Helms now. When you look at a person in a position of being a, say, a prayer coordinator, just serving with a prayer ministry of a local church, what are some of the the components of effective prayer for that local body? Well, it, it's finding out, um, you know, I, I wrote another book years ago, If My People Pray, Steps to Effective Church Prayer Ministry, and that the the question that everyone asks, what do you do to get a prayer ministry started? And and the answer almost sounds like I'm I'm just being flippant, but I say you pray. Get on your knees. <laughs> I mean that is the first step because yeah. what we want to find out is what is God's design for this particular church? What is it? I mean, are you right next to um, a, a prison? Are you right next to um, I don't know, other, a school. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, what Ministry is it? Ministry opportunities yeah, in what, the community. What, what is it that you're, where did God plant your church? <laughs> and, and what is it that he wants you to do and be about in your specific church? And then once you get that vision and that direction from God, then you begin to pray, uh, plan and enlist people to work with you and, and that kind of thing. And so um, it, it has a lot to do with God's direction and being obedient. Elaine Helms joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio. It is the Christian Product Expo 2019 CPE International in Murfreesboro. Elaine Helms, often called the prayer lady, joining <laughs> me today here on The Meeting House. Well, Elaine, let's talk just a bit about effective intercessory prayer. So very important as we present our request before God for other people, for God to move in special ways in people's lives. And I sense that it's more than just God bless blank, that there are there's a, a specific I guess you might say pattern or the word rhythm comes Mm -hmm. to mind Mm -hmm. with respect to presenting the needs of other people to the Lord. What have you found to be some effective ways to really stand in the gap for others? Well, I I think reading uh, God's word is, is critical, knowing God's word, because just as we as children don't learn to speak effectively until we start repeating what we hear, and, and that's in order to pray in the character of Jesus, we need to know what Jesus said. And so reading his word, praying it back to him, uh, praying specific scripture for people in the particular situation is really um, just bathing our prayers in, in the will of God. What does God want for that? And I think that's why the training of intercessors is so important to basically understand who it is that I'm talking to. I mean, if you don't really know who you're talking to and know that you can trust God, 
um, and God is, is real and very interested in your prayers. He's the one initiating prayer. He's the one enabling us to pray, mm-hmm. and he's the one answering the prayers. And so it's very important that we know who we're talking to. Elaine Helms here on The Intersection. You can find her online at churchprayerministries.org. More now from CPE International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee at Faith Radio Media Central. Tina Yeager shared principles of spiritual warfare as she relates in the book, Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You. From that conversation, this is Tina Yeager. I wanted to make sure that women understood what I didn't understand when I struggled with self-esteem all through childhood and adolescence, even to the point of having an eating disorder. I wanted women to understand that they have a value and a worth that's beyond physical value, that's beyond our performance, academic, or in work, or in social status, or in our relationships. I wanted women to believe that they could have collaboration with other women and become stronger together, and that we can be leaders in the kingdom of God because that's where God calls us to be who he's made us to be and to lead alongside other women to be strong together. Well, the subtitle of the book is Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You. So obviously, if you are going to counter the lies, what the enemy would say to someone with respect to her identity, it's important that you know the truth. So what have you found to be some effective ways in which people can actually as we might say, absorb the truth of God into our consciousness. First, we need to recognize where we're lying to ourselves, those negative messages that paralyze us and keep us from moving forward. And when you know what those are, replace them with the truth. Don't just get rid of them. Replace them with the things that God says about who we are. Like in Psalms 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or go through 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, in a way of loving yourself the way God loves you. Be patient with yourself. Be kind with yourself. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Go through that and treat yourself the way you would treat your best friend. After all, you're going to be living with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, let's talk about shame and and how that operates in a person's life it can be a tremendously destructive force. So discuss that and really how that can be countered using some of the tools that God has provided. We need to recognize the difference between shame and conviction. God's Mm, gift to us is conviction, but God's gifts and God's blessings are always forward-moving and growth-oriented, whereas the enemy's counterfeits, like shame, will paralyze us and keep us from moving forward with purpose and power. So shame, for example, would counterfeit God's spiritual nervous system, which is conviction. If you touch a hot stove, you say, ow, you stop touching the hot stove, you get treatment for the burn on your hand, but then you learn not to touch it again, and you learn how to use that hand to do better things in the kitchen from now on. That's conviction. Shame would have you drop to the middle of the kitchen floor and say, oh, I am a terrible person for having touched that stove. I will never use this hand again. And obviously that's an exaggeration, but that's what we do when we've made a mistake. We blame ourselves, we fall to the floor, we stop moving forward. So layer after layer after layer of shame accumulates Mm -hmm. throughout the years. What's the process of really unraveling that? Recognizing the things that we have said to ourselves and other people have said to us that aren't true, that are negative, that are stopping us from moving forward in truth. Anytime you see something in your life that is holding you back from a divine purpose, something that God could do his most glorious work through you. Again, we're not doing that on our own power. God is doing wonderful things through us, and he can do anything through us. Anything that makes us believe that we cannot 
that we are unable is not of God, because God can equip anyone to do mighty things. Back to conviction. With conviction, I would say a companion of that would be correction. Again, like you said, God is forward moving. Yes, he will convict us of our sin. He has provided the antidote through confession of our sin and receiving forgiveness and then moving forward. So if a person is experiencing this sense of of shame and, and the word guilt comes to mind and it's just so pervasive, is can you always say that's not of God or is can conviction also include obviously there's a there's a point where God will point out mm-hmm. your sin but he'll also always provide the antidote to it the enemy leaves us without any hope exactly is that right is that right is that kind of what you're exactly because the enemy wants to trick us into believing we can't move past our sin and that is not why Jesus died on the cross there is mm-hmm. nothing that we have done that is too big for Jesus to handle And we need to realize that it's not about us. It's about what he has done for us. Tina Yeager here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to TinaYeagerYeager.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. And you can find out more through MeetingHouseOnline.info or by going to the programming section at FaithRadio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the Intersection in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. From the homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from CPE International 2019 in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations with guests featured on the Intersection podcast can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as through a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and TuneIn. Well, continuing now with the Intersection podcast, it's counsel for First Liberty Institute, Keisha Russell, who commented on recent developments concerning Little Sisters of the Poor, one of the nonprofit organizations to be adversely affected by the contraception mandate in the Affordable Care Act, She shared some of the history of court action concerning the mandate. From that conversation, this is Keisha Russell now. You know, what it's going to take is for the Supreme Court to rule once and for all that uh, the religious exemption, a broad religious exemption, is what is necessary to really settle this case. And for whatever reason, the Supreme Court keeps dodging that question. So let me just backtrack a little, because in Hobby Lobby, everybody knows that uh, the Supreme Court said that it was... um, unconstitutional against RIFRA for the Obama administration to force Hobby Lobby and other closely held corporations to provide contraception. Okay, so what happens after that is instead of exempting all of the other religious objectors, uh, the Obama administration created an accommodation process, which still allowed uh, the employees of certain organizations that weren't included in the original exemptions in the um, original um, Affordable Care Act statute or that weren't covered under Hobby Lobby, they would now have to um, uh, use this accommodation process. However, 
There are a number of employees that think even the accommodation process makes them complicit. And so that's what you have going on right now is, is this uh, fight over the accommodation process. So um, the Obama administration late in the, in the presidency admitted that they don't have a compelling interest um, that would allow them to force uh, the contraceptive mandate on religious objectors. So the Trump administration, um, in response to a whole litany of cases um, and attacks uh, against the accommodation, um, decided, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to grant a broad religious and moral exemption to everyone who has a problem with contraception, everyone who has a religious objection to paying for and offering contraception. We're just going to broadly exempt all of them. Okay, so as sure. a result of that broad exemption, uh, did you want to chime in there? No, I mean, I mean that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So uh, as a result of that broad uh, uh, exemption, um, now you have these, these uh, cases going on relevant to the Third Circuit, uh, which uh, is the amicus brief that uh, First Liberty filed, and then the cases um, in the Ninth Circuit. All, all of these cases, and there were a lot more, but all these cases are about challenging this broad religious exemption. Um, and the problem really lies here in understanding a, a few things. First, um, the concept of mandate already exempts a lot of uh, corporations and businesses that are not even religious. And so you have millions of women who already are not covered under the contraceptive mandate by employers who who don't have religious uh, objections. And that's the reason why the federal government really has to lose here. Because if you're already exempting a bunch of people, you really don't have a good reason not to exempt people who have a really uh, religious conviction. Um, against contraception, right? So that's this, those are the basics of of the the, the evidence against you know how the, these courts are holding here. So the Ninth Circuit and the Third Circuit have now said that not only does the Trump administration not have the authority to grant this broad religious exemption, but it also questions the religious exemptions that have already been given um, under the original statute, um, which is. The Ninth Circuit case definitely the uh, the decision, and the Ninth Circuit definitely uh, raises that question. And then the Third Circuit's decision, um, the, you see the court wrestling with the fact that its decision is in direct conflict with the original exemptions that were written in the statute. Keisha Russell here on the intersection. The First Liberty website is First Liberty. Spell it out: FirstLiberty.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Michael Heiser, formerly of the Faith Life Corporation, now Executive Director of the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry at Celebration Church in Jacksonville, Florida. In a conversation, he discussed principles regarding the supernatural realm that he relates in the book, The World Turned Upside Down, Finding the Gospel in Stranger Things. That is a reference to the program on Netflix. Here now is Michael Heiser. Sure, it's nostalgia because it's set in the 80s, and those of us who graduated from high school around the same time can see ourselves in the show, and, you know, that that's really understandable. Yes, it attracts young kids, you know, because the main characters are kids. We get that, but I think really at the core of what the show presents to people is it taps into this yearning within everyone 
to really believe that there's something bigger than themselves out yeah. there. there. There's a reality that transcends the reality that we experience with our five senses. Uh, the, the, the mechanistic, materialistic, atheistic worldview that is so often presented to us, frankly, just does not satisfy most people. And so you, you have not only Stranger Things, but a lot of shows that, you know, tap into this yearning for something, again, more transcendent, some mystery, so a reality beyond the one we experience. And I think that's just indicative of what Scripture teaches, that, you know, within the human heart, there is this sense, again, this yearning, this, this wish, this desire, you know, to connect with, you know, a supernatural reality, God. There's this void in our hearts. And so I think the show really taps into that unconsciously. I don't think it's doing it intentionally, but it's just there. The Bible itself is a book that encourages us and trains us to, as you say, see beyond the five senses and experience yeah. beyond those senses. Yeah, that's true. You know, and if you think about the life of Jesus, there's, I mean, he's God in flesh, but there are these overt manifestations of supernatural power in his life. But then there are, all the, there are also the covert ones, the ones that are sort of hidden, you know, in plain sight, where, you know, most of his life, you know, he's wandering around and, and doing, you know, business, you know, as a, as a normal person, the son of Joseph, supporting his family. He's a carpenter. And, you know, he, he's, he's sort of the, a nondescript last person you'd think of to be the solution to the problems in the whole world. <laughs> you know, and, and the show... Uh, you know, Stranger Things really taps into that with its own, you know, sort of Christ figure, of the, you know, the girl Eleven, because she is the product of suffering. She's the least likely individual to be anything or do anything meaningful. And yet, you know, she is the core element to the show. She is the explanation, not not only the explanation for the, the supernatural evil that is lurking into the town, but she's also the target of that evil, and she's the solution uh, to to defeating that evil. And and you, to look at her, you know, for those who have seen the show, again, you're first introduced to her. She's this girl. They find her out in the woods. She's drenching, you know, wet because it's raining. She's dressed in nothing but a lab gown. She has her head shaved. She doesn't even have a name. Her she she has a very limited English vocabulary. I mean, she is the last thing in the world you'd think like wow we, this is the solution to all our problems but you know they soon figure out that there's more to this person than they realize and and th th a lot of things play off that i mean she she desperately wants to be normal she she enjoys making friends you know she has to learn what a friend is but at the same time she has this otherworldly power and when she uses it Every time she saves one of her friends or the town from evil, she bleeds. You know, it's, it's a very overt sort of, you know, set of images to, to both convey the, the hidden, you know, the hiddenness of, of who Jesus was, but also, again, the, the, the power and, and really the means, you know, to, to salvation. The, 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 the characters in the show, the, the show starts very, very, I think, conveniently for a presentation of the gospel, or at least a conversation. And that is one of the kids is lost. He's in this other reality, the upside down. He can't escape. No one can find him. No one can get to him and deliver him. He's, he's totally lost. So there you have the metaphor of being lost. 
you have you have the characters who are all broken in some way, some of them severely, some of them, you know, less severely, but they can't fix themselves. They are not the solution to their own problems, much less this lost kid. But the one who's the solution to all of it is this girl, again, who is from this other place. And again, her she has these powers and, and, and she suffers on their behalf, you know, bleeding when when she delivers them. I mean, there's a lot to work with here mm-hmm. in the show to have a conversation with someone who's not familiar with the gospel story, uh, but who is familiar with the show. Michael Heiser here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to dr, as in Dr. M-S-H, dot com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit The Meeting House homepage, you will find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center as well, also through iTunes. Plus, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter at Access The Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Conversations with guests featured on the Intersection podcast can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of other podcast platforms. Again, the website addresses are meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.